Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We might call this the pre-summer edition. No, we're not that close to summer, but this is our last uh, edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child until September. Uh, we do this program September through May. This is May. So we are um, taking the summer off as usual. Um, not that kids who are behaviorally challenging discontinue their behavioral challenges over the summer, just that uh, we take the summer off during this program. I'm joined by um, Kim Hopkins-Betts, our Director of Outreach at Life in the Balance. Kim, how are you? Good morning. I'm well, thanks. Sorry, I had a quick tech issue, but it resolved fast, so glad to be here. No worries. And um, we have one of our parents with us today, I think. <laughs> Sorry, that my Is this phone Jennifer. Was, I was having tech issues too, apparently. Yes, <laughs> I could hear you, and then you were gone, and then you were back. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes that's the way it is. Um, but we're glad to have you with us. I know that Stella's not going to be with us today. Um, yeah. But we've final. got a bunch of emails lined up, but we also already have a caller, and callers get top priority oh. on this program. So just in case somebody else wants to call in, that number is 347-994-2981, and press 1. Shall we go to our caller real quickly here? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, our parent is calling in from area code 314, which looks like the St. Louis, Missouri area. How are you today? You're on the air. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, uh, what's on okay. your mind today? And don't, um, don't use any names or identifying information. And here we go. Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, so actually um, – We've been struggling with our eight-year-old son for a little over a year now. Uh, just very explosive in school when he gets frustrated. So last year at this time, he was in first grade. He was in a private small school, and they really had no idea what to do. We have since at that time, we switched him to our public school, um, and now he is in the second grade. They, they have been working really hard, too, um, but we really have not made any progress. He gets frustrated in school and he's just very explosive. So now we're at the point he has been on, now he's on an IEP. We've gone through some of the medication part, you know, aspects. We're doing that. Um, IEP really got started maybe back in February by the time all the assessments and all that kind of stuff goes. Um, now we are still exploding in school. Um, my question is, I am sitting down with the teacher to do an ALSEP on in a few days, which is fabulous. I've kind of strategically tried to introduce. I've come across all your stuff, which finally 
I feel like someone understands my child and I've read a lot of stuff and I mean, this is the only book, The Explosive Child and Lost at School. I'm like, oh, my gosh, someone finally understands. And we've been through psychologists, pediatricians, neurologists, and they knew of your stuff, but they never really explained. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of this. Um, My question is, when I do meet with the teacher, first of all, we have like two weeks left of school. So once I get this information, um, what can I do with it, A, via the summer, also, you know, I, I'm glad I'll have it for the next school year, um, but also really trying to help the school to hopefully imp- implement these things because he has been suspended. He has been um, in school suspension, even out of school suspension because of his, his explosive behavior. He's been restrained, um, and it, it's heartbreaking. So that's where we're at right now. Well, Number one, I feel terrible that um, you are on this path. Uh, well, there's one path that I'm glad you're on, and I'm glad you've found uh, resources that are going to be helpful to you. But I'm feeling terrible that you, and especially your son, are um, already on this path of uh, suspensions and uh, restraints, um, because it's unnecessary and it's not productive. Um, how old is he? Did you tell us that already? He's yeah, he's eight. He's eight. So um, I'm sure you feel this way too. But I wish that the school had done an ALSEP before they did all those restraints and before they did the suspensions because. That's not going to, once we find out what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are, we're going to discover, as we always do, that restraints and seclusions aren't going to fix any of what we discover on the ALSIP. So the main thing I feel bad about is that there's only two weeks in the, left in the school year, and but I'm very happy that we're finally going to be looking at what we really need to be looking at, right? And, you know, there's more than just restraints and suspensions in his life so far. He's already got an IEP. He's already been medicated. Uh, um, not, that, not that medication might not be helping him, might, not that an IEP might not, might not be helping him, but um, it, it sure is nice to take aim and to really know what's going on with a kid before we start doing all of these things. And that's, that's the scenario for a lot of these kids is that, we um, shoot first and ask questions later. We should be asking questions first, right? Um, and the questions we should be asking are, what are his lagging skills and unsolved problems? So I'm glad you're finally there, but very sorry for what you and your son have been through so far. Um, what can you do over the summer on the unsolved problems that you discover? Most of those unsolved problems are probably going to have to do with demands that are being placed upon him at school. And so I'm not sure, right, um, because these are the school's expectations. He's not blowing up over nothing, right? He's blowing up right. over expectations that he's having difficulty meeting. That's always the scenario. So I've never come across, so I feel safe in saying that, even though, None of us has ever met him except you. He's not blowing up over nothing. I've never seen that, right? He's blowing up over something. And generally speaking, kids blow up or 
get frustrated when there are expectations being placed upon them that are outstripping their capacity to meet those expectations. That's the formula, right? I'm glad we're finally going to figure out what those expectations are. I'm glad we're finally going to figure out what lagging skills are contributing to his difficulty meeting those expectations. I'm just not positive that there's a whole lot that you'll be able to do about those expectations over the summer because, quite frankly, they're not your expectations. They're the expectations that are being placed upon him at school. Um, so, you know, if you were thinking, and I'm not sure what you were thinking, remedial help, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, um, but the reality is remedial help is great, but you're still stuck with the situation of the school placing expectations on your kid that he's having trouble meeting. And that's going to require the collaborative effort of all of you beginning with what is finally taking place with you and the teacher getting together to do an LSIP. I'm sure that uh, okay. Jennifer and Kim have more to weigh in on, but um, I just feel <laughs> you've, got, you've got all the ingredients in place for things we don't like to see happen to a kid, but the things that happen mostly because we still don't know what the kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are yet, which is, um, I feel bad for you and your son. Um, my other question, if I get this, infor- which I will get this information, um, you know, and this teacher has been fabulous. Um, some of the administration, I will say, cause I literally had a meeting even six months ago that, we literally had a 30-minute meeting about won't and can't. Um, I was only the – I mean, I kind of didn't know what to say. Everyone agreed that it was a won't, and my, I said, well, my psychologist says it's a can't, but he didn't really explain why it's a can't. But now I have come to understand that. Um, when I have all this information for next year, and then it will be a new teacher, what's the best That was my question, that? yeah. <laughs> Well, number so one, he is going to have a different teacher already. next year. He's got Go an IEP already, and you can. Yeah. There's a CPS flavored IEP on the Lives in the Balance website, so you may want to encourage them to revisit the IEP um, so that it's written in a way that is more congruent with what is now known about your son. Um, the fact that you're still in won't versus can't discussions often is a sign that the ALSIP hasn't been completed yet because once you figure out what a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are, um, won't tends to fall by the wayside. Um, why, would he not, why would he not want to meet those expectations? Why, how would that work out better for him? Um, how would all those suspensions and restraints and meds be his dream in terms of what his life should look like? So quite frankly, won't makes no sense whatsoever. And by the way, this program is recorded if you think you might want to have them listen to it. Um, okay. Won't doesn't make any sense. Um, but won't especially doesn't make any sense anymore once we know what a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are, that's the piece that's been missing. But I've been talking too much here. Let's let my colleagues weigh in as well. 
I had a couple thoughts. Um, it's great that the current teacher is uh, a partner in all of this, and then I heard you say it's going to be a different teacher next year. But starting the LSIP with the teacher this year could maybe be helpful because one of the – there's a lot of goals when doing the LSIP, but one of the goals is to figure out what are the unsolved problems that are priorities that we're actually going to get to work on when you do have the ability to connect with the school, which I, I get might not be over the summer. Um, but also, what are the ones we're going to plan C? And what do those plan Cs look like? So one of those ones are, that we're going to table. And sometimes we need to make active, proactive plans to table things. We, I call them Band-Aid plans. You know, maybe if he's never done well in PE, say, then maybe, you know, the teacher this year can help you have those conversations with the administrators and the teacher next year to say, until we solve what's going on in PE, maybe he doesn't go and he goes someplace different, but he doesn't experience that as a punishment. Like we talk with him and involve him in that so that he gets that it's temporary and he gets it's just to keep things calm and that they're just taking things off the table that are hard for him to do until we can work on them because we're working on other things. So that was kind of one way maybe to use this year's teacher in setting next year up since you're going to have this lag in time of access to school people in the summer, or, or maybe, maybe next year's teacher would be interested in, in having some contact with you over mm -hmm. the summer to get proactive. That would be nice. But if not, then there might be a way to set up <laughs> what, what is what are we planning to see um, so that we can get the year off, you know, to a good foot. We can do some relationship building. We can work on our high priorities um, as soon as we're able to get together on that. The other, my other thought is when you do do this ALSIP, because um, I heard you say when he gets frustrated in school, he gets explosive. I often find that the temptation is to word the unsolved problems about the frustration and about how he doesn't handle it well when he, we tell him that he can't go to the bathroom right away or how he doesn't take feedback well or how they're, they're too far downstream. And it's more about how does he handle his feelings and I would just make sure that when you guys are doing this house of that you help the teacher be as far upstream as possible in, well, what is the expectation he's having trouble meeting that then leads to the big feelings that he has trouble managing. That's, that's part of the chain, but it's not the beginning. And we want to go way up to the beginning. Um, what are the expectations he's having trouble meeting? And, and hopefully okay. you guys can, can be nice and far upstream on those instead of requiring him to cope when he doesn't, when he's upset. Cause that's, that's not where you want to spend your time. Mom, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Yes. And I think also, um, um, you know, the IEP, um, I guess the resource teacher, and he just had an FBA done, um, which we are going to review on Friday, which they were talking some of the language of CPS, but then when they were talking about really um, helping him with these behaviors, well, they're talking about behaviors too, they were doing the reward and punishment. And I, you know, I did explain, I said, you know, reward and punishment does not work for him. He's just kind of keeping it together so he gets that reward. Um, so I don't know how to change that, um, I guess, philosophy or, you know, to really, you know, if they, if they are working on some things that I agree that we find in the LSEP as well, how do we do it together where they're doing plan B and not doing reward and punishment? 
you know. Well, this is the thing. You've got the classroom teacher doing the ALSIF with you, but the classroom teacher, I'm assuming, is receiving guidance given your son's situation from other people in the system who are helping the teacher know what to do. And um, sometimes the other people in the system, not always, have a very strong uh, behavioral orientation. Sometimes even when they are, and I've seen this a lot, even when they are trying to figure out what expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting, somehow or another, they end up still, when it comes to intervention, being primarily focused on behavior. By the time the behavior happens, the unsolved problem that set it in motion already happened. So dealing with behavior means you're way late in the game. So that's, you know, I think that mm-hmm. we're, we're midstream when we're dealing with that. They're identifying unsolved problems, but they're still not exactly sure what to do about them. What you do about unsolved problems is you solve them collaboratively and proactively. And if all we're focused on is the kid's behavior, then we're still, even though we've identified the unsolved problem, we're still dealing primarily with the aftermath, and that's not where the action's at. So right. I think it's great that you're meeting with the teacher, but the teacher is not the only person who is influencing how your son is being treated. The teacher's not writing his IEP. The teacher's not writing the FBA, not writing the behavior plan. So there's other chefs in this kitchen who um, you may need to help come around to this view as well, and that they could be even tougher. Okay. Okay. That makes now let's sense. Let I'm going to keep going along. As well because okay. <laughs> I think this resonates. Uh, Jennifer has been down this road. Jennifer, anything you want to add to the discussion? Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, you're coming down to the end of the school year, and it's wonderful that you have people there who are beginning to be on board with you. Um, but while he is out of school, use that time to when he doesn't have the pressure that's there to build your relationship with him through you know using CPS using plan B at home using plan C at home because if you can come into the next school year having your relationship with him strengthened and having a really good line of communication between you and him, it's going to make it much, much easier for you when the school comes at you next year and says, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. If you can then say to your kid, hey, you know, I hear that there was maybe some some difficulty in gym class today can we talk about what happened? And if your kid can tell you himself in his words and trust that you're going to be open to hearing him, you're halfway there because then you can say to the school, well, we talked about it and these are the things that I got out of the conversation. And I think that for us, when we did that, once the school realized that, 
you know, I had that ability to do that with my son. I would get phone calls that were, we're having a little trouble understanding what happened. Could you maybe come help us translate this? <laughs> uh, and that made a huge difference for him and for me in working with the school. Um, and the other thing that I was thinking as you were talking, um, there's a wonderful book that was just recently, recently released um, by a woman named Mona Delahook, who I had the pleasure of hearing at the Lives in the Balance New England Children's Mental Health Conference last year. Um, and she wrote a book that just like a couple months ago came out called Beyond Behaviors. And while he is out of school, if you have the opportunity to spend some time this summer reading that, there are some really great worksheets and exercises in it that may help you and that you may find you could then offer to the school to help them shift those lenses so that they're seeing things more as can't and less as won't. Okay, I can definitely do that. Yep. Mom, you have now been loaded up with wisdom. <laughs> I have. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your books, your podcast, your website. I mean, you, I, you just, um, you have no idea when you finally find resources that you feel like understand what you're going through. And there's a lot of resources out there, but nothing even came close. So just thank you guys so much for everything you do. We're very glad you found us. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah. You too. You too. Uh, I um, <laughs> hate seeing kids on that track. It's such a familiar road that she unfortunately has begun walking down with her son, and um, boy, she's going to have to advocate for him uh, to make sure that he gets off that road because he's on it already. You know, the wonderful thing is, though, I, I know that feeling that she's talking about that, yes, finally, someone gets it feeling, because in in the B team, <laughs> We talk a lot about being in that parent pit, that, that pit of, of feeling like I'm a terrible parent, my child is going to have a horrible life, it's never going to get any better, I'm screwing up everything that I try and do, he is probably going to end up on the news as a mass murderer, you know, the pit tells you all kinds of things like that, and it's a very isolating, lonely place to be. And when you find that, you, when you, when I know for, for me, when I started reading more about CPS, when I found the B team, when I started talking to other people, it was like, oh, I'm not alone in this. There are other people who understand my child is not the worst child that was ever born. I'm not the most terrible parent ever. And it's, it's an amazing thing to suddenly not feel like you're traveling through that all by yourself. Jennifer, as always, good guidance for what parents need to do to take care of themselves um, in the midst of all of this because it is a, um, it can feel like a long, lonely, winding road. Um, yes. 
And, of course, what we do in the B team and what we do on the website is we try to help people so they don't feel alone on that road and so that they know what to do on that road. Um, yep. So, as always, great wisdom <laughs> from both of you. Shall we? We do not have another caller. Let me give the um, phone number again because this is the last chance for about four months, 347 994 2981. In the absence of a caller, let's go with an email, shall we? Okay, sure. This one says, hi, I have recently learned about Plan B, and I think it's great. Oh, wait, I'm reading the wrong place. Why am I? (laughs) Hold on a second. Uh, All right. I've recently learned about the Plan B method, and I think it's great. Figuring out why my son doesn't like to wear clothes or brush his teeth so that we can solve the problem, rather than just having the problem over and over again, makes sense. My son has numerous diagnoses, um, PDA among them, which stands for Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a diagnosis that is much more popular in Europe than it is in North America, though it is finding its way here. Um, Along with developmental delay being the most prominent, he is 14 years old, by the way. The question I have is that he doesn't answer any questions. He will state if he wants a drink or food, et cetera, but a two-way conversation doesn't happen. So how do I figure out why he finds certain things difficult? For brushing teeth, could it be the toothpaste or the toothbrush? or even the time of day I'm requesting it. Um, With nonverbal kids, is it a process of elimination? So that's the question. Um, Let me just comment before any of us jumps in on pathological demand avoidance. It is, as I said, a very popular diagnosis in Europe. Um, There are big fans of pathological demand avoidance, but I feel about the same as pathological demand avoidance as I do about any diagnosis. And that is, irrespective of what label we're hanging on your kid to describe, to summarize the behaviors your child is exhibiting when he's having trouble meeting expectations, you're still going to have to find out what the kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. I was in Denmark last week speaking at uh, CICON, which is a autism conference, and a parent raised her hand and said, um, you know, the autism diagnosis was very helpful to me. Finally, it helped me get in the ballpark of, you know, what was going on with my kid. My comment was, um, even though you now have been told that your child is autistic or on the autism spectrum, you still have to figure out what your kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. And then the big question always is, is once you figure that out, what are his lagging skills? What are his unsolved problems? How much value added is the diagnosis anyhow? So pathological demand avoidance, um, you know, her son is nonverbal, and she's trying to figure out what's making it hard for him to meet certain expectations. So the ALSIP is going to help her figure out what his lagging skills are. So she has the right lenses on. Pathological demand avoidance is only going to take her so far. 
And the unsolved problems section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is going to help her know what uh, expectations he's having difficulty meeting. And mom, you've got it exactly right. If you have a child who's nonverbal and can't provide you with information through the use of the spoken word, then you're going to want to guess. Um, that's what speech and language pathologists do with kids who are nonverbal too. Um, good speech and language pathologists will tell you that their training was useful, but their observational skills are the most important thing they bring to the table, their eyes. So yes, the one method that we use, we've talked about it sometimes on this program, is um, we sometimes teach the kid five fingers. Five means very true, four means pretty true, three means sort of true, two means not very true, one means not true at all. And um, we make statements, and mom, you've got some good guesses already. Um, uh, toothpaste is the guess. And, uh, You'll say toothpaste, or in the case of kids who even receptive language is not so fantastic, we can create a picture of the toothpaste. We can guess toothbrush and find out through fingers whether that's an issue. Time of day, I'm requesting it. The beautiful thing of all of these is that they all lend themselves to um, being depicted in pictures. It's really cool. Um, so even if your child is not understanding verbally what you're asking, pictures should do the trick for you. And that's exactly how you're doing it. Um, yes, with nonverbal kids, it's a process of elimination, just like it's a process of elimination with infants. With infants, you're trying to figure out what's the matter and you're trying to apply solutions. And if the infant stops crying, pretty decent chance you guessed right. And if you <laughs> guessed wrong, the infant doesn't stop crying. That's the cool thing about infants. They keep crying until you get it right. Um, with <laughs> nonverbal 14-year-olds, um, you're actually ahead of the game because you can't do fingers with an infant, but you can do fingers with a 14-year-old. Um, I'm betting that, Kim, you and Jennifer have things you'd like to add. There's my two cents. Or not. Jennifer, Jennifer, do you want to go first? I don't want to jump in this time. So you, you want to go first or do you want me? Um, whichever. I, I, I can just say that, you know, as you were reading, Dr. Green, I was thinking, yay, five-finger method, because it's my favorite drilling option, especially um, when people are first starting out with CPS. I found that it works really well for us. Uh, it doesn't even require eye contact. Um, I, I have, have told the story laughing several times that some of my earliest Plan B conversations with my son took place with him in his bed under all of his blankets with all of his stuffed animals piled up on top of him and just his hand sticking out so that he could give me the number of fingers that I needed. Uh, because that was how he felt safe and secure to be able to talk to me. So the five-finger method is a wonderful resource um, and doesn't require anything more than your kid responding to you with a hand, and that made it very, very easy for us. So that's my five-finger method. 
<laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, what comes to mind for me is I was working with a school a couple of years ago, and they had a 14-year-old boy um, who was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and his main behavior was that he would take all his clothes off. And until the school could wrap their head around, like, that's just him falling in the water. It just means that there's unsolved problems. I know it's not great. People are uncomfortable, but we need to to think about, you know, figuring out the laggy skills and unsolved problems. So then they decided they did the ALSA. They came up with the first unsolved problem they wanted to work on, which had to do with difficulty drawing in his journal because it was the thing he was supposed to do first thing in the morning. And he was only able to respond with thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, that he couldn't do the five-finger method, but he did thumbs up, thumbs down, and they took a plethora of guesses before they figured out that what they were asking him to draw with wasn't comfortable in his hand. And once they gave him something different to draw with that was bigger and fatter and felt better in his hand, he started drawing in his journal for the first time in forever, and his clothes stayed on at that time during the day. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, and then I think about my son, like the – he's got he's three and a half now and he has a lot of words. He doesn't actually have the kind of words I need when I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Right. <laughs> and so those nonverbal observations that you're making that, you know, facial expressions and quieting down and calming down and all of that are, are huge as far as, you know, figuring out if you're getting close or not to, uh, to, to getting it solved. We hope that's been helpful. We do not have another caller. Let's move on to another email, shall we? Before we move on, Dr. Green, can I say something about toothbrushing? Yeah. (laughs) Because I know that this is a a common challenge for and a common sticking spot for parents and kids. And uh, two, two years ago when we were at the Lives in the Balance Summit, my mother called me while I was walking with a bunch of other uh, B-team parents. And she said to me, Will tells me that you don't make him brush his teeth. (laughs) (laughs) And we all burst out laughing. I said, no, I, I don't make him brush his teeth. That's true. And we had, you know, gone up and down and, and over every single place with toothbrushing with him. And we'd find a solution that worked for a while and then it would stop working. And so we'd drill some more and we'd find a different solution that worked for a while. And finally, I just decided that it was something that I was going to plan C for the moment. And we had lots of mouthwash and, and (laughs) we let it go for a while. And I thought, you know, when we go to the dentist, that's the natural consequence of not brushing your teeth. We're going to have to then plan B what to do about that. You know, when we went to the dentist, she said, I don't know what he's doing, but keep it up. His teeth are perfect. Ridiculous. <laughs> so it was not worth all of the frustration and argument that went into it before we started. And plan seeing it turned out to be an okay thing for me to do until he gets to a place where, you know, he's ready to talk about it again or try something different. It was okay to plan see it, much to my mother's chagrin. <laughs> That's not how they did it in the old days. Nope. 
<laughs> no. I never went to bed without brushing my teeth, ever, as far as she knows. I frequently went to bed without <laughs> brushing my teeth, but fortunately or unfortunately, since my mouth is now full of fillings from childhood, <laughs> um, mm. I was very good at wetting the toothpaste, wetting the toothbrush, <laughs> and... Um, putting toothpaste all over the bottom of the sink so it looked like I brushed my teeth. You know, all that effort that I put into faking it probably would have served me better if I'd actually done it, but um, uh, still haven't told my parents that, although who knows, maybe they suspected. I don't know. <laughs> Let's do one more email, probably because this is a long one, and I bet we're going to have a lot to say about it. This says, uh, I've just finished reading The Explosive Child and beginning to try, not for the first time, to gather information from my 16-year-old son about why he's not going to school. I can't get anywhere, and neither can anyone else, because he won't talk or engage with anyone, family, school, general practitioner. Despite assuring him we want to understand and will not impose a solution on him, it feels like he is stuck. It is exam year, and he has done no prelims, will now not be presented for the level in the subjects he should have. And when I told him this last week, he just said, that's fine, and wouldn't divulge any more about what that really means. There's a high chance he won't complete school and will leave with no qualifications, which is so sad and frustrating. I suppose what I'm asking is that I don't see any suggestions on your book, in your book for when someone just will not allow you or anyone else to gather information. And also, what if, in the wonderful instance, you should get to the invitation step, what do you do if the person is completely unwilling to suggest or agree to, if they can't suggest any ideas, any mutually satisfactory solutions, which was our experience several months ago? Um, he doesn't agree that our concerns should be addressed as well as his own. Um, I should maybe add, our son has no diagnosis because he is completely unwilling to see a GP or have anyone visit us at home. This in turn means I cannot get access to any help or any medication, despite having a strong suspicion that there are likely elements of depression, which I think would potentially help him get in a better headspace to perhaps be willing to talk and little by little work on things. He's always been very challenging at home, but never at school up until about a year ago when poor attendance started creeping in with mystery stomach complaints that lasted for several days and began to get more frequent, but he again refused to see a general practitioner, and a drop in motivation to stay up to date with school work, which previously there was no problem with. A talented athlete, I became particularly concerned by June of last year when he wouldn't even go to school on sports day, where he would have likely won most of his events. By this time, I had been doing lots of reading and felt ODD is likely what he has had most of his life, which seems to have spilled over into the school domain just in the last year and a half. But because we managed, sort of, hobbled along, and because I was afraid we were just obliviously quite crappy at good discipline, other than a positive parenting program I did with this son and his two younger siblings when they were ages six to three, I've not sought any other professional help, although have read lots in his younger years where although he challenged most everything, I would have managed to get him to a doctor. I really don't know what to do. School has no ideas because everything requires willingness to discuss slash engage, and that's just been futile. 
even if there is a behavioral pattern of ODD, it's too late now to address in the school's eyes. And because he is unwilling to see a general practitioner, we cannot pursue any other care slash support route. Is there anything you can suggest as our next steps? Um, I wish we had gotten to this in April because this is from March, late March. So first I apologize to the mom for our uh, inability to get to it last month. <clears throat> but um, I'm happy to weigh in, but I'm betting that um, both of you have some thoughts on this sad email as well. Who wants to start? <laughs> Kim, you want to go ahead? <laughs> I honestly have like too many ideas in my head spinning around and around. I'm not sure I could be as clear thinking about it as I would like to be, if you guys want to start first. Okay. I'm happy. Uh, Jen, you want to go? So you can go ahead. I, I'm like Kim, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that it, it triggered in my thought process. So here's what it triggers in me. I don't care all that much what diagnosis he meets criteria for. I care what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are. Um, he sounds like he's got a fair amount going on. Um, a good athlete who won't go to school when he's likely to win most of the events, something's going on, and the mom knows mm -hmm. something's going on. Mm -hmm. The issue is, I don't, number one, I don't think that a diagnosis is necessarily going to give her a clear picture. She's suspecting depression. And certainly some of what she's written to us about might suggest that. Um, certainly his childhood history suggests that he might meet criteria for oppositionally fine disorder. But I really feel like um, I would need to know what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are to organize the effort and to just think about, and I'd collaborate with the folks at school on this because there are many, many expectations he's having difficulty meeting. Um, and we would not only need to know what they are so that we can organize the effort, but we'd also have to prioritize. And then my only last thought, otherwise we're slamming him with everything, and slamming, not that the mom's been doing this, but slamming him with everything is a good way to help kids not talk. But there may be other reasons he's not talking. That may not be it. Um, but I guess the other thing that I want to encourage the mom to do, there's no indication here as best I can tell, of where they live. And we have an increasingly growing list of providers in collaborative and proactive solutions on the CPS Connection website, www.cpsconnection.com. Really hoping that there is someone in your area, Mom, because um, it does sound like if he's not talking to anybody in his current life, he may need somebody new to talk to. Um, and that might be a good place to start as well. But the ELSA, the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, if it hasn't been done yet, Mom, that's something you can do on your own, but it's also something you can do in collaboration with the folks at school. I got a feeling we're going to have a long list of unsolved problems, and um, we're going to have to prioritize. That's my two cents. Kim, Jen? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, you know, she said that he, it's, 
it's not that he's not talking because we haven't reassured him that he's essentially not getting plan A, that there's been a lot of pry at that. I would say um, I would make sure there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of trying at that of, of reassurance because I think that that's often been, you know, one of the number one reasons that kids don't talk. But it's about figuring out, you know, what do you make of that? You know, does there need to be some relationship building um you know, as the foundation for this, does there need to be, like you said, Dr. Green, a lot of plan C happening so that the kid sees that we're not trying to force him to do things? Um, is it that he doesn't have the words? Although she did say they did come to a solution that he then didn't follow through with. So there seems to be some way that he, um, I, I'm reading through the lines here, though, that he maybe did give some feedback in some way, whether it was words or another way. But you know, adjusting how we're trying to get at the information like we talked about with the last email or even using a journal or letters going notes going back and forth or something like that or pictures, whatever way he'll communicate. Um, text we've talked about before, that is often a way to get the conversation rolling. Um, but that's kind of, you know, where I was at wanting to know a little bit more about what does she make of the not talking so that that can be addressed um, but, yeah, I agree with seeking out a provider who specializes in CPS. If they're nearby, that could be really helpful, too. Yeah. Jennifer, yeah. any pearls? Not, let's say, you know, finding someone, even if if your son is not willing to engage with the provider to start with, you know, someone for the mom to work with um, mm -hmm. would be a good, you know, don't don't be discouraged if your son says no. That doesn't mean you won't still get something good out of working with a provider who can help you with the CPS process. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about really is that we hit a point with my son where he was so dysregulated all the time that he had just gone, he'd gone past fight or flight and was just in a constant state of freeze. And that sounds kind of like where this mom is seeing her son be stuck. And the only thing that got us out of that was lots of plan C. We plan C pretty much everything except, you know, sleeping and breathing. <laughs> Other than that, it was, uh, it was, you know, he did, it, it was a long summer of all Plan C, and then when school started in the fall, it was almost all Plan C, um, and it took several months to get to a place where even the beginning of the conversation didn't overwhelm him. Um, you know, I think that, that he was in such a tough place that even when that, you'd, we'd say to him, we're not going to force a solution on you, you know, we just want to know what's going on with you, even trying to talk about it, his brain would tell him, mm, they're not really going to listen, they're just going to shut you down. And it took a long time to get to a mm. place where that wasn't what was happening. So plan C is really your best friend. Excellent guidance. The only last piece of guidance um, that I have is that um, sometimes the first unsolved problem 
ends up being difficulty talking with mom and our dad about problems. Um, sometimes we need information about what's hard about talking before we're going to make any progress on specific unsolved problems. On that note, first of all, we hope that's been helpful, Mom, and very sorry once again for how long it took us to respond. On that note, we are well past our time, and so I <laughs> want to thank you both, as always, for your participation in this. I um, think we've um, hopefully been real helpful to a whole bunch of people during this broadcast year. And um, I look forward to doing this with you both again, starting up again in September. So thank you much. Great. Thank Sounds you. Good. Thank you. Take care all and lots of resources on the website if you miss us over the summer. Take care. Bye.